This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. seated this morning. We're so blessed to have you. If you could do me a favor, if uh, this is your first time with us, we have connect cards in front of uh, the pocket in front of you. If you could fill those out and drop them off in the boxes on the way out, we'd love to stay in touch with you. Another thing is, if you need a Bible, we have some guys walking around with some Bibles. If you didn't bring one or if, uh, or if you need one this morning or if you don't own a Bible, we'd like to give that to you. So if you would raise your hand, flag one of these guys down, we're going to be preaching from Mark chapter number 1. So as you're getting your Bibles, as you're turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39 is where we're going to be at today. I want to, uh, I, I want to make, we got some here in the middle too, brothers. Um, I want to make sure that uh, we give you a couple of quick announcements. Okay, so number one is this Saturday we have a, a membership class. So if you're wanting to be a member, a part of this community, we're so thankful for all the members we have and those who have signed up. I love getting the membership applications and reading through them. Last night I was reading some of the testimonies and things that God's doing in the lives of some of the people a part of this community. I love reading those things. So if you are, Wayne, is Wayne in here or did he... Uh, drop the mic and walk out. It looks like he did. He was the guy that was just up here. Uh, make sure to see him. He'll be out in the uh, outside. Look for him. Sign up. He'll get you the information. Also, a couple, uh, one last thing. The, the youth are doing a fundraiser for the youth camp. And so we really, yeah, yeah, okay, good, good, good. Take, if you're going to do it, commit to it and applaud. But don't do like the half thing, okay? Um, but if, if, uh, if you could um, go to their fundraiser on the 21st, which will be a, a talent show. Now, here's the deal. If you have a talent and you want to help raise funds and you want to do something, see Dana. Even adults can be in the talent show. I think they have me signed up for something, um, and, and that will be revealed that night what I'm going to be doing because I'm not sure yet. Um, so there's others who are going to be doing some things, youth performing. We had a blast the last time. There's a silent auction, so if you can donate to that, to the silent auction, give items, stuff like that. See Dana. This next Sunday there's going to be like a dress rehearsal kind of deal. They're going to prepare for it. But Saturday the 21st I think is the date that it is. Make sure to check your bulletins and the bulletins are out there. Okay, now Let's stand together. We're going to read um, Mark chapter 1. And the reason why we stand to read God's word is because we want to distinguish this time um, from the rest of the service in the sense of going, this is God's word. In respect to that, we want to honor the fact that he is speaking. He's addressing us. So let's open our ears and listen as we read these four verses. And rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Lord, we thank you for your word. Let these words sink into our hearts. Let them leap off the page by your spirit. Convict our souls. Open our ears. We need you. In Jesus' name, 
Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. I want to make sure as we approach the text, we come with the right heart, attitude, and then also the right approach. Um, one of the things that we can do as we approach Scripture is we can come with a, uh, a, a, a twisted view of what Scripture actually is. And ways that we can do that is by looking at Scripture as purely a textbook in which we gain knowledge. And so we go to it to kind of, to kind of just gain knowledge about God. Um, and the problem with that is when, when that happens, we, we might gain some knowledge, but these aren't just systematic teachings in which we kind of walk through a textbook. This is God's word to us. He's speaking to us. He's addressing us. And, and we need to be hearers of that word. And, and we need to come with ears ready to listen. And also, this is not just a, a rule book or a practical guide for how you live your life. This is not just a way in which we come and we find in alphabetical order how it is that what God wants us to do with these problems in A, B, C, you know, an encyclopedia. This is not uh, the, the way God even laid out his word. The beauty of scripture is, is it's laid out in this grand narrative. The story about God and the story about his plan of redemption for this world in which he has created. When you really see God speaking to us and showing us his character, his heart, and his plan, then we can really sit and listen and hear and want to, by his spirit, understand. And so as we get into this narrative, what we have to understand is that Mark is writing a story. He's not just taking kind of pic, uh, you know, raw footage of what Jesus has done. He's writing this narrative, and each part of this narrative is, is, is a preaching. It's there. There's a message in this. There's a point in which he's trying to portray, and we want to hear that. We want to hear what is trying to be portrayed. Now, what we've seen over this time is that Mark is, is, is able to write in brevity. He's, he's gifted to write short kind of uh, move. This, this, this thing moves along quickly. Um, I want us to think and remember kind of where we've been in this last few weeks. Last week, Wayne did an incredible job. If you have not listened to it, it's online. I listened to it again this week. It is incredible what uh, gift we have in these preachers with Wayne and Wes and the different elders in the church. And, and, and one thing I want us to remember, and he talked about us last week, is that this book arises in a time when the church is being persecuted. Nero is king, and, and he is not only just um, persecuting the church, but he's making up lies about them, saying they're catching things on fire, and, they are, and then he would go and destroy them and persecute them. And all this, kinds of, uh, all this kind of persecution is taking place, and arises this book of Mark, this address of who the real king is. The Son of God, Jesus. Pro a proclamation that is even countercultural. That, that Nero's going around saying he's the Son of God. He is the King. But there's this proclamation in Mark, this bold proclamation, proving that Jesus is King and that he has a kingdom. Now, what we have to understand and what we've seen in this is that God's kingdom opposes the kingdoms of this world. And in that opposition, what ends up happening, wherever the king is and his kingdom is coming, what we end up saw taking place when, his, when the king is there and the kingdom is coming, what we end up seeing is evil is, is cast out. 
sicknesses are healed. We're seeing pictures of the kingdom, that what his kingdom looks like is there's no evil there. There's no sickness there. We see him doing miracles. We see him casting out demons. We also see that the way this king and his kingdom operate are so different than the way the king and the kingdoms of this world operate. Now, when I was in, um, in high school, um, I had aspirations to be a famous actor, but I got a knee injury, and um, that, was, that was a joke. Um, but no, I had famous, I had aspirations to be an actor, and I, I would try out for plays, and, and, and I found myself in, in things, you know, trying to get involved with that, and I remember, you know, asking my parents if I could try out for a play, and it was a musical, I could sing, and, and I was, and I could, when I tried out for a play, and if you've ever tried out for a play, nobody tries out for a play to be like guy number two or townsman number three, right? They all go into the play thinking, I am perfect for the lead role, right? So I saw myself. I picture, I, I did all the things that famous actors say to do. You, you study, you picture yourself in that role. You go and you, you try out. And I tried out and I gave what I would consider a flawless tryout, right? And I ended up, I ended up with townsman number two, right? Now, at least I wasn't townsman number three, but I ended up with townsman number two. And I was furious. I went home to my dad, who I had begged to try, and I said, Dad, they don't see my potential. They don't see the greatness that's locked up inside of me, you know? I'm quitting this play, and I'm not going to be in it anymore. And he said, no, you're going to stay in it. No, I'm not. I'm far greater than townsman number two. And my dad said, no, actually, you're not. You're going to do what it is you committed to do. You're going to be a part of this play, and you're going to take whatever role is given to you, and you're going to do it the best. And since you've committed to it, you're going to stay in it. And it was infuriating, but I learned a big lesson, right? about my own heart. See, I don't think I'm the only one that's convinced that I am supposed to be great. There's this growing desire in our culture to be famous. There's this outrageously growing desire to be famous, so much so that people are writing articles and noticing this trend. And this trend is escalated when social media comes into play, right? Now people can be famous who don't know how to sing, who don't know how to act, but just do something crazy on YouTube, right? And now they can have hundreds of millions of views, they can be making money, and they literally are not talented at all, right? And we're just laughing at their mistakes or we're laughing at a cat, you know, or, 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 or a, a little baby dancing. Or, and we are just literally, every post we make, we, we craft in such a way to say, what can I do? What video can I create? What post can I make? What picture can I take? How many times do I have to take a selfie before I will get the one that reaches max likes, shares? I refuse to just take a picture that is not capable 
of going viral, right? So I'm going to retake that post and rethink it and rewrite it. I'm going to craft this. And there's this ongoing feeding of our egos, this desire to be great. And now we've found another avenue in our social media and it's just heightened. And psychologists are noting, noticing this trend of this increased idea of being popular, famous. So much so as they did their studies, what they began to found, find out is this guy named John uh, Maltby, he, he wrote a few things on why people, and in this uh, article, which I think is interesting, he talks about the reasons. Mo most people with their desire to be famous see very, uh, see very few things that matter as much as being famous. They see, uh, not only that, they want to be famous because they think if they're famous, they will overcome their past issues because all those people that hurt them and bullied them and didn't see their, their popularity and didn't see their gifts and their talents, if they could just be famous, they could look at everybody else and say, see, you were wrong about me. They also want to be rich. There's a greed involved with it. So they think a celebrity popular lifestyle leads to wealth. They also have this insatiable drive for it that they cannot do anything unless they are popular. You see this taking place even in the arts world that people who, who used to just do art and music and those kinds of things just as worship to God and ways to express themselves now see no point in creating unless they get tons of people who love it. Bands and artists are now not in pursuits of making good music, but making music people like. The whole goal of our industries have changed. Now it's not making quality things, it's making something that is appeals to mass markets. And we look at the world around us and we see this this drive, and we go, surely the church does not follow that pursuit. And I would say the church has spiritualized that pursuit, but they are so deeply entrenched in the same pursuit. Listen, church strategy now has nothing to do with what is God's address and what is the way, but it's figuring out how do we build a successful church. And successful church is measured by, and I'm sure you can guess, how many people go to church at your church. You go into this church and you're like, man, this place is enthusiastic. They got the ministries that I want. It has the style of music that I vibe with. This place is popping. Everybody in this room looks like me. This is the church I want to go to, created in my image. It's exactly what I want. And churches are built on thinking about what will people like? What will people respond to? And how can we continue to give the people what they want? And how can we continue to grow? Success in the church is built on clamoring crowds, excitement, enthusiasm, popularity, celebrity preachers. 
and we've just spiritualized the same idol. The reality is, ever since we've been in church, the message that has become popular, I remember going to youth conferences, and some of you the same, you walk into youth conferences, and the name of all the youth conferences are things like History Maker, World Changer, Great Things. You never go to a place where it's just like, you're going to be faithful, average person for the rest of your life. You're like, that, that church is boring. <laughs> Who wants to be faithful and average? I want to be a world changer, a history maker. I want to be great. Why? Why do you want to be great? I don't want to be guy number two. I don't want to be townsman number three. I want my name to go down in history. I want to be the one who everybody remembers. I, I want to have these things. And so the church knows this about the heart and desires this even in their own hearts. And so instead of preaching a gospel that confronts that idol, we just go, God wants that for you too. Listen, here's what I don't want to happen today as we walk through this text. I don't want to demonize crowds because that's not the point of this text but the reason why it bothers you that I'm talking this way is not because I'm demonizing crowds but because I'm not deifying crowds like we do I mean if we're honest when we're walking into a church we put the same expectations. We call ourselves church shoppers, seekers, whatever it would be. We're in the hunt for a church that fits what? The vibe, the feel, the look, style. We're a part of that crowd. We are a part of that consumerism. We are in the same belief that if something is really significant, it's big, it's Successful only if it's enthusiastic. The reason why I like this text is because Jesus once again shows us that his kingdom is not like you think it is. Last week at the end of the text, he's cast out demons and everybody is at the door of this little house. The whole town is at the door. They can't even get in. And what would we have done if this place was packed out and people going out to, out to the streets? What we would have done is made sure a picture was taken and there was a hashtag miracles on that picture, right? So everybody can know, you wish you were here. But Jesus says to those demons, don't tell anybody. This buzz was so big that it caused the whole town to wait at the door just to hear his voice. What does Jesus do? He wakes up early, early, early in the morning and goes out to the desert. That word desert is the same word that was used when he was driven into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He goes back to the desolate desert place where he was, where if, if you look at the same correlation, where it was a place not looked at as a place where it was fun to go. This was a wilderness. This was a 
desolate place where wild animals were. This was this crazy place. He goes back to there to do what? To, to pray. And then as he's spending time with his father, Peter comes out. Now, I love that it's Peter. It's Simon Peter. Later on, his name's changed to Peter. Simon comes out because you can imagine this. He wakes up, and the crowds are back at the door. They're going, where's Jesus? I brought another demon possessed. I brought somebody who needs to be. Where's Jesus? They're knocking on his door. And he goes, Jesus! Hashtag miracles. They're here again. First thing in the morning, and Jesus is not there. He goes, listen, I'm going to go find him. He would not want to miss this. So he goes out, takes some people with him, goes out to hunt him down. That's the word that's used. They're hunting for him. And Peter is known throughout this. And I love this because Peter is also uh, had a big influence on Mark. Matter of fact, some commentators say that Mark was like Peter's ghost writer in the book of Mark here. So I love that even in Peter's telling of this story to Mark, and Mark is, is writing this down, or even if it happened by Mark just hearing it and, and telling this story, he brings out this fact that Peter once again is putting his foot in his mouth. You remember Peter is the one who was like, you're the son of God. And then later on he's saying, I'm not going to let them crucify you. One moment he's saying, your name's Peter. The next moment Jesus is saying, get thee behind me, Satan. One moment he's saying, I'm going to cut ears off. The next moment he's denying him. And here's Peter, this enthusiastic, swept away with the crowd type of guy. The crowd's looking for it, and he's like, let's go find him. They go out in the desert and they find Jesus. And here's what Peter says. He says, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's seeking you. Everybody wants you. And Jesus, instead of saying, I'm so excited. <laughs> Let's make a new hashtag. Let's tweet this out. Let's let everybody know. They're coming to the desert to find me. He goes, nah. We're going to all the little towns around. I didn't come for this. I came to do this. He leaves the crowd. The crazy thing about Jesus is you see throughout his miracle, throughout his ministry, is that crowds just clamor. Crowds come. Crowds are always coming after him, wanting things from him, but he's constantly decreasing his attendance. He's constantly challenging the crowd so much that by the end of his life in ministry, he's alone, hanging on a cross. He's not the successful kind of guy that you thought, like, man, he just got wrapped up into the crowds. This Jesus, this king, is not about self-promotion and building of crowds. So what does he do to show us this? How, what can we learn from this text that can really start to challenge us and our way of thinking and why is it so important for us not to get swept up to the crowds, but to know who the Father is? 
First thing is this, and we'll have these up on the screen. I hope you could write these down and think about them. These are things that God has been challenging me with personally as we've been going through, as I've been studying this text. But first is this. The applause of the crowd is louder than the consistent loving assurance of the Father. Here's the thing about crowds. They're loud. They're enthusiastic. And if you get caught up in the wave of crowds, you will begin to believe you are something because of their applause. But Jesus did not find his identity or his insurance in his work and ministry and who he was based upon what the crowds wanted. He found it in the loving, consistent whisper, the voice of his father. Here's what you have to get in this. Enthusiasm is not a sign of faith. Just because somebody's enthusiastic doesn't mean they have deep faith. Matter of fact, the Bible says when somebody springs up quickly, when the seed gets planted in this shallow ground, they spring up quickly, but then that, that plant dies quick. Why? Because they have shallow soil, and although it's rich and enthusiastic, it's not deep and it's not lasting. Number two is this. The pole of the crowds are not always the same direction as the leading of the Father. And as I put that out today, uh, one of my friends said, I wouldn't say always, I would say rarely. The pull of the crowds are, not, are rarely the same direction as the leading of the Father. I would agree with that. The crowd had needs wants and demands they had things that they wanted from Jesus they had a ministry that Jesus could do to them he could serve them in a very specific way and the demands that he that the crowd had on them on, on Jesus if he did not have his assurance from the father he would think that his success in ministry was meeting the needs of clamoring crowds you see, here's what we have to be convinced of. Clamoring crowds are not a sign of successful ministry. <laughs> Jesus is showing us the shallowness of crowds when we come to the third point, and that's this. The wants of the crowd are changing and unclear while the purpose of the Father is consistent and clear. That word in, ver in, chap in verse 37 where Peter comes out and says, everyone is looking for you. It's seeking after you. It's, it's everyone wants you. Different translations say it different way. But it's this word seeking. Everybody's seeking after you or looking for you. This word is used ten times throughout Mark. And every time this word seeking or looking after looking for you is used it's used in a negative way this is the first time it's used and in chapter 3 it's used the same way and these first two times that it's used it's used as an obstacle their wants are an obstacle for the ministry of Jesus 
The next two times that it's used, it's used to refer to disbelief or faithfulness. That's chapter 8, and we'll get there. But the last six times it's used, where the crowd is seeking after them or wanting them, the last six times it's used, it's used when they're trying to find them to kill him. In Mark, seeking is not a virtue. Seeking Jesus in Mark is not a virtue. Looking for Jesus in Mark is not a virtue. Matter of fact, seeking connotes an attempt to determine and, to, and control Jesus rather than to submit and follow to him. This is an interesting point because we build our church off of seekers. We do whole ministries based on what do people who don't want Jesus, but they're seeking after him. They're kind of interested in him. What do they want? So let's build our whole church for seekers. The reality of this is this. Mark does not lift up seekers as a virtue. Matter of fact, if Jesus built his life off of seekers, he would have done what the seekers were wanting him to do. But what we end up seeing is that Jesus was not caught up in the demands of the seekers. Listen, church, if we build a church off of people who want to control Jesus rather than submit to him, we're not actually a Christian church. When our whole motive for being a part of a church community is that everything would be built around us and our wants and our needs and our desires. And we're using the church and Jesus and his spirit to try to control and manipulate. The reality is Mark does not have much good to say about crowds filled with seekers. Why? Because the crowds have needs and demands. But here's what is interesting. When Peter says they want you, that's not a good thing. He's actually saying they have things that they want you to do. They have ways that they want to control you. But they, they don't want to submit to you and follow. Can, can I just be honest when I say and I look in crowds and I and I know and this is hard to say but I hope you hear the heart I know that in this room not everyone here is wanting to submit to Jesus not everybody in this room it's great having you here but that does not mean that in your seeking your desire is to submit to him and I pray that today, even by just bringing this to light, that the Spirit would use this to convict your heart, that you would see that seeking is not a virtue to be elevated, but submitting and obeying the King, following. The last thing is this, crowds hunt and demand but the father draws and leads. You know that word that they said they went out and they put like a whole, a whole group together to go find Jesus? That's a hunt that they were on. They put like a whole 
posse together to go out and find Jesus. They're hunting, and when they hunt him and find him, they put demands on him. But what did the father do? He drew him out into the wilderness, and he leads him. This kind of father relationship that we see, this father-son relationship, this perfect unity, this affirmation that he gets from his father, it's beautiful because here's, here's the picture that I got in my mind, and I'm sure it falls short, but you've watched those movies where a guy is in the cr- uh, getting up on stage for the first time, and there's this big crowd out there, and he could care less about the whole crowd. He's just disappointed that his father's not in the crowd. He care less how many people are there. What he really wants is his father's affirmation. This to me is kind of the picture that comes to my mind. When Jesus is, 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 is doing these works, works of the gospel, casting out demons, he's not gaining his assurance of who he is or his identity from it. But he draws out to his father. He comes into that time of prayer. And in that time of prayer, something happens. The father leads him. This is extremely powerful for me for a few reasons. One is I was caught up in this. Not only was I in a high school, but I went into ministry with wanting to build a name for myself and a desire to kind of build a church that everybody would know this guy is great. I'm telling you, I was so caught in that that the, the reality of my identity and worth was so dependent upon how many people came to a service and how many people said I did a good job that all of my Mondays were spent trying to find who I was because I was getting swept away trying to please people. I am the classic people pleaser without God's grace. Not a people pleaser because I want to serve you, but a people pleaser because I want you to like me. And the reality of those kinds of demands on ministry is this. Even if you don't have a crowd, some of us have a few people that we have this people pleaser mentality. And every time they make demands, we feel the weight. I've got to meet every one of their needs because they've been burned by others. They've been hurt by the church. They've been had these kinds of issues in all of their life. And I got to make sure I do everything they ask. Have you ever thought not to just do what people ask you to do, but ask the father what he's wanting you to do? And you're going, what a poor, pathetic soul. That he would be a people pleaser, you know. If anything gets too popular, I'm just uninterested. Matter of fact, if it gets too popular, it's not cool anymore. So I just kind of like unpopular things. I like being unpopular. I don't struggle with that, so this message is not for me. Well, could it be that instead of us saying, man, I could get swept away with the popularity thing. Could it be that instead of putting us in the place of Jesus, we should put our place in the face of the crowd and we easily get swept away with the crowd in this sense? We may not want to go against the wants and the desires of the crowd. Everything culture wants, everything people want, everything, we just want to fit in and be swept away. We really just want to be a face. The problem with that is 
the crowd has a very powerful force. And whether you're a part of the crowd or you're standing against the crowd, all of us have something to repent of today. And what is the way that we do not get caught up in the currents of the culture and in our own heart idols? How do we fight these kinds of things? And I think Jesus shows us in a very powerful way. And I want us to write these things down before we go and respond. One is, I think we need to commit to three things. The first thing is we need to commit to prayer and solitude. Silence and solitude is a lost discipline in the church. If I'm honest, it's a lost discipline in my own life. It is extremely difficult for me to force myself, my heart, because I have this unquenchable desire to not miss out. What if I get a Facebook notification that will change my life? I can't not be the first like. Every time we feel this need to be so connected to what's happening in the crowd. What if an email comes in? What if I miss a call or a text? I can't shut everything down and walk away and just focus on, I can't do that. Silence and solitude is a lost art in a world filled with noise. We wonder why we've lost our center. It's because we do not, if we're honest, we don't want silence and solitude because we might see things about ourselves that are out of alignment with who God is. We might miss something that's happening in the culture, but the reality is we're hiding in the, the crowds and we're hiding in the flows of the culture and we're staying in where the noise is at so we don't have to confront how far off we are. What I love about this is that much of the prayer that we see here is him going out and being with his father. It doesn't say how he prayed, what he said, how the things. It wasn't a form on how to pray. So it would be a problem if I sat here and said, let me teach you how to pray. This was the reality of him coming to his father, listening and communicating. It was about their relationship. It was about sinking back up. And it was about finding himself in his father and being in alignment with him it wasn't about what he said how he prayed and that's the important thing for us because much of our prayer lives is going how do i say what do i say what's the magic that i can really have an effective prayer life how about this listen how about you say nothing and you listen and write down what god's speaking to you how about you read? How about you hear God's address? How about you find where those areas and let the Spirit show you the areas in your life that you're not in alignment with God? Why do you have to talk the whole time? The other thing is this, committed to the mission. I noticed this. He was not committed to isolation because isolation is not what he's promoting here. He went away to be with his father and that that time with his father recentered him around the purpose and, and mission that he had been called to. And then it was through that when they came and said, come back to the crowds, that he said, this is what we're doing. Notice this. Jesus didn't do everything people wanted him to do. He let those people down. The crowds had needs. Demons needed to be casted out there. 
but he knew the mission that the Father had sent him on, and he takes his disciples. And the only people that go with him on this mission are those who are followers, not the crowds. This is not what I've come to do is what he says, and he, he says what he's called to do. Proclamation and demonstration. Proclamation of the coming of the kingdom, the preaching and the casting out of demons. That idea that he's going through and not only is he declaring the coming of the kingdom, but he's showing that the kingdom has these kinds of effects. This, this commitment to prayer is not just a commitment to introversion. Hear me on this, because introverts love texts like this. Is see, God just wants us to be away from people all the time. <laughs> they deify introversion. No, this is what happens. Jesus goes out to be with him in the morning so that he can know what it is that he's, the work that he's been called. It's a realignment, and it is this idea of going back into the, the work and mission of proclamation and demonstration, of living in front, what crowds came from everywhere. We're going to see even late, every place he goes, crowds come. So as we go to this time of communion and prayer, I'm going to ask us to do something uncomfortable, so uncomfortable that I even have, you know, I know that it's uncomfortable because we are so not used to this. This idea of just sitting in silence and asking the Spirit to work in our hearts. I believe that this message can speak directly to each person in this room if we will not just kind of hide ourselves in the noise of music or, or, or pray, uh, the prayers of others, but if we'll say, Lord, by your spirit, will you show me the areas in my life which I'm not aligned with you? Will you show me the idols in my heart if I'm wanting to be swept away with the crowds or if I'm wanting to just blend into the crowds or, or maybe I'm just wanting to control you and not submit to you? Show me the areas of my heart that are not in alignment with you. Show me those kinds of things. Convict my spirit. Bring me back into that place of, of, of right alignment with your work, your mission, and what you've called me to do. God, I want to be right before you. And listen. I mean, everything today it was, was God revealing how much, I mean, even, even from the sense of, I was thinking, and this is, I know this is off the wall, but even just all the things that went wrong in the service today make us go, man, this place is unorganized and they don't have everything to do. They're not appealing to me. They're not, and I'm going, thank God. We, everybody, please be uncomfortable today. Please, why? Why is that? Because I don't want us to hide from the voice of God. Shake up any idols that we would have in our Expose them by your spirit. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who's just swept away with the crowds, would you show them that you're not calling them to be the center? You're not telling them that you're going you're gonna to do everything you want them to do. You're not, gonna say, you're not saying you're coming and you're just going gonna to do everything they ask, but you are coming and saying, come be a part of my kingdom. Follow me. Lord, I pray that we would repent wanting to control you. Lord, for some of us, we are so consumed with people-pleasing that our whole lives are caught up in trying to gain the approval of others. Lord, we're coming to a time 
in our in our generation where we are having to make stands that are not going to be popular. Persecution. Lord, can we just be reminded today that we're not always going to be popular with crowds? You weren't. God, by your spirit, would you come into the hearts of each person in this room and would you just show them the areas, the pressures, the cultural kind of pushings. And today, would they commit to you again? Church, do we know that as we're even praying those things, when we come to the table, that's what it is. It's a recommitment to the covenant of, of, of that we have with Jesus. Every week we come to this table and, and what we're doing is we're committing ourselves afresh to this covenant. So after we spend a moment of silence, the band is going to start to play and we're going to go into a song that is perfect for what we are praying today. And at that point, I want us to take time when the Spirit leads us to come and reaffirm our commitment by taking communion together. Church, let this time of searching, of silence, be something that we carry into all of our lives. God, remind us, draw us at times away from the notifications, the crowds, the, the emails, the texts, and let us sit in silence hearing your voice and aligning ourselves with you and your mission. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.